Among the things that our brother Shane led us in prayer about today was thanking God for the beautiful day that he has blessed us with. You know, if it was storming and raining, we would still thank God for it. But it is beautiful outside, and we're thankful for it. We're thankful for a God that cares about us, that shows us his power, not only in the word that we read from today, and I invite you to take your Bibles and follow along as we study, but also in the elements of nature that you and I are able to see and visualize around us. Thank you so much for being with us today. I invite you to open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4 to a couple of verses that I want to read that I believe set the stage for our study this morning. Brother David will reference these verses later in his sermon that will appear on the website at 2 o'clock. I encourage you, as always, to listen to that good sermon where he continues to take us through the powerful yet short book of Lamentations. And it's a good study. See, one of the things about taping in advance is I get to see whether it's good or not. And it's he's still batting a thousand. They're all great. But the sermon is really good this afternoon. I encourage you to take a, a listen to that, view that at 2 o'clock on our website, godsredeemed.org. Thank you for being with us today. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 is a verse that every young preacher either should memorize or does memorize. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, he says, with all longsuffering and teaching. And the reason that that verse is so important, not only to those who stand up and preach, but the reason that that text is so important to all Christians is because we have the responsibility, whether we stand in a pulpit or whether we sit on a couch in someone's living room in an attempt to teach them, or in the lives that we live in trying to evangelize the Word to others, we all have a responsibility of teaching the Word and saying things that sometimes are difficult to say, but yet are important to say. And Paul goes on in verse 3, and he says the reason that this is so important is because there's a time that's coming where men will not be satisfied with sound doctrine, and they'll look for something that is different. And I use those two verses because I take those verses seriously. I know that you know that our brother David takes those verses seriously as well in terms of the mission of teaching and preaching the gospel. But when you deal with this subject like we're going to deal with this morning, there are at least, it seems to me, two dangers to a study of biblical authority. One is that we already know the basic concepts of biblical authority, and we're familiar with it. And most of us who have, if you've grown up in the church, as the phrase is sometimes used, although that probably is the best phrase to use, or whether you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years or 40 years or longer, you're familiar with the concept of biblical authority, and so you might want to cast it aside and say, I don't need to study that except maybe once every 20 to 25 years, and a good refresher will work. The other danger is because we think we are so familiar with it, we don't talk about it, ever. And then we become unfamiliar with the concept, which is fundamental to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the idea of preaching the truth and standing for the truth. 
And the other danger, a third, is that those who are younger, who we are always respectful of, and we are very blessed as a congregation with younger members, that they don't ever get a dose of biblical authority. You say, well, that was something we talked about back in the 80s when I was younger. We don't need to talk about that now because we're more sophisticated than the 20s than we were back then. I believe it's important for us to have a refresher on this. And in fact, in two weeks, I'm going to have another sermon, Lord willing, entitled, Are All Churches of Christ the Same? And we're going to address whether or not that's true or not. And we'll talk about that. But I wanted to talk about biblical authority today, what that's all about. I want to address three questions. And the first question is, why is authority important? And I would submit to you that in every aspect of your life, that authority plays some sort of role. That every aspect of life demands some sort of authority. Our brother John Grimmick talked about the idea of children wanting to be pleasing to their parents in the Wednesday night invitation. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we make it our aim to please God. We make it our aim to please our parents. We make it our aim to please our supervisors at work and make them happy with us. And even in athletic life, if you were ever an athlete or you at least tried to be an athlete, you wanted to please your coach. You wanted to be put into the game or be put into the lineup. And there's something to be said for respecting authority. You and I understand that when we are driving, not that this has ever happened to any of us, that when those blue lights come on behind us, that we pull over to the right as quickly and as safely as possible. Not that that's ever happened to anybody that's sitting or standing that is here today. I see all, everyone's saying, no, it didn't happen to me. No, it never happened. But the fact of the matter is, is when we serve our God, we have a choice to make. We can get our authority from men and see what men say is necessary in order to be pleasing to God. Or we can get our authority from God and His Word. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, a familiar text to many of you who are here this morning. In fact, those of you that are listening as well, it may be familiar to you. But Jesus here says, People in general... Draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. What is vain worship to God? It can mean a number of different things, but in part, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 15, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We're going to talk about man-made doctrine just very briefly uh, for a moment or two. But I want us to understand that when we figure out what's necessary to please God, go to heaven, be a faithful church, be a faithful Christian, we don't need to just simply ask a religious leader. In fact, we have a habit of coming together and saying, open your Bibles. Figure out whether or not the things that we're talking about are really true or not. And you are to be commended for not just taking my word for something. Generally, I try to say the things that are truthful, but I might make a mistake. Or if 
if I was influenced wrongly, I might actually do things that are wrong and lead you wrong. That's why we don't just listen to the pastor. We don't just listen to the preacher on TV. We don't just trust them blindly. We check it out to see whether or not it is true. Because authority can come from men, and we can get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble. Or authority can come from God and His Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17, through 17, where your Bibles may already be open to, is where it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that... For the purpose that the man of God, which would be you and me, may be complete, thoroughly equipped, or thoroughly furnished for every good work. And that's what you and I are striving to do. When we think about why authority is so important, I just wanted to point out that authority is not a New Testament concept, nor is it a 20th, 21st century concept. It is something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You're familiar with some of these particular examples. Sometimes we use the same examples. Sometimes we use different examples. But sometimes the, the tried and true Nadab and Abihu works. In Leviticus chapter 10, you have two individuals who did not have the right to do what they did. They did not have the authority to act. And yet they acted. And you remember what happened to them. They died violently. You recall Isaiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And if you want to jot those verses down and read them on your own time. But you remember that King Isaiah was a good man. We talked about some of his reforms Wednesday evening in 2 Chronicles 26. But then if you read the last paragraph, the final moments of his life were shrouded in disgrace because of his choice to burn incense, which was not his to do. And so the Old Testament is all about authority. The idea that you do what God says, you do not do what men say. You listen to the Lord, you follow His commands, and you do not just simply follow the whims of some man or your own desires. Well, the New Testament is certainly centered on authority as well. Jesus is teaching on numerous occasions, but as recorded in Matthew chapter 7 or Matthew chapter 13, he talks about lawlessness. You see, it's, it's possible that we can break the law, not just when the blue lights turn on, but more importantly, we can break God's law. And so when God says that he wants us to, on the Lord's day, to partake of the Lord's Supper as we did, and I appreciate Jason reading from Isaiah 53 and doing such a great job of getting us in the, in the mindset for uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. But if we chose to come together Wednesday evening and to do it again just because it just feels right, you would say, wait a minute, that's not right because that's breaking God's law because Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and a couple of other passages help us understand that's what we do on the Lord's Day, not just on any day of the week. Well, the apostles teaching taught doctrine, the idea of that which was right versus wrong. Second John verses 9, 10, and 11 talk about that, where John writes and he says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And then he goes on and he says, you've got to be careful about greeting someone who is involved in false teaching." Or participating in that false teaching. And make sure that you abide in the doctrine of Jesus through Christ. So authority is important. 
we understand that in every aspect of our life. The second question that I want us to uh, think about for just a moment or so is where does authority come from? Spiritual authority that you and I are ascribing to today does not come from Old Testament law. Look, if you would, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. I was just talking with a brother just a few days ago, and he was talking with someone who said, I still believe that the Old Testament governs us and determines the law of the way that we live. And I suggested looking at Galatians 3 or Ephesians chapter 2 or Colossians chapter 2. But we'll just look at one of those passages in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ or our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's so much in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 is probably one of my favorite places to go whenever we're dealing with this subject of biblical authority. Because it talks about the seed as compared to the seeds. It talks about the schoolmaster to bring us to faith, to bring us to Christ. We understand that Colossians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2, that the old law was nailed to the cross. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a purpose for us. Romans chapter 15 verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or 11 helps us understand that indeed the law helps us to understand the examples by which we follow. And as we do sometimes in our Wednesday night class in the Old Testament, examples we don't follow. Things that we do well to follow and things that we do well not to follow. Let me suggest also, and I hinted at this just a moment or so ago, but let me suggest also that we do not get our authority from religious leaders. And I say that because of the point that I'm going to make here in just a second, but so many of our friends and our neighbors are following blindly men or women who are the religious respective leaders of their religious denominations or churches as they wear that name inappropriately. And those religious leaders can get us in a whole lot of trouble. And there are lots of examples that I could have pulled out for this sermon. But I, I came across this one. And I wanted you to consider the comments of Dr. Mona West. Now, just because someone has a doctor doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And when I'm talking about uh, religiously, so there, I, I've known of some religious people who have doctors that I respect and who have some good ideas. But whenever someone is the Reverend Doctor, someone I, makes me wonder a little bit, makes me feel a little inadequate that I don't, I don't have any titles to me. I do have a lot of degrees. I found out just a couple of days ago that I have 97.7 of them. That's how smart I am. But the fact is, is, I want you to consider Mona West for just a moment. And this is not pick on Mona West Day. If you're familiar with her, um, I'm not trying to step on... Well, yeah, I am trying to step on toes. If, if this steps on your toes, then you need to be stepped on. Uh, but let me suggest to you something that Dr. Mona West said. And this is kind of a long quote, but let me read it with you. And at first blush, you're like, that sounds great. But then just step back and think about what she's saying. When dealing with matters of biblical interpretation, one always needs to keep in mind the role of authority 
of the Bible and matters of faith and practice. So far, I can live with that. While the Bible is an important witness to the relationship between God and humanity, it is not the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus Christ, the Word, made flesh, is. We must guard against making an idol out of Scripture. Now, as, as people who respect biblical authority, as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the point where you start kind of scratching your head a little bit, right? You say, wait a minute now, this sounds just a little bit odd. Let's go a little bit further. She says, while the Bible may be at the center of matters of faith, it must also be in conversation with tradition, experience, and reason. Hmm. That sounds a little funny to me. That sounds a little odd to me. She goes on, as a religious leader and this respected religious philosopher, and says, we must read and interpret Scripture with the aid of the history and tradition of the Christian church. We must also bring reason, philosophical and rational thought, to bear on applications of Scripture to real-life situations. And last and most importantly, Scripture must be weighted alongside human experience, especially the experience of God's grace. Now we see where she's going, right? Now you can see what has happened. Is she has opened the door wide to basically saying anything and everything goes. With such an opinion, with such a, a philosophical uh, approach, it's not difficult to imagine where Dr. West goes with her thoughts. And she says, and I cleaned up the language a little bit for the benefit of our virgin ears this morning. It is time that we listen to the experiences of God's children of alternative lifestyles who know with all their hearts that God has created them just as they are. So you see, this is one example out of hundreds where when you crack open the idea that, well, the Bible is, as she calls it, a conversation. It's not necessarily what we follow at all times. It just gives us a launching pad, a place from which we can begin a conversation. You can allow anything and everything when it comes to a lifestyle choice, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to the choices of how we choose to treat each other, when it comes to lying, when it comes to fibbing. You name it. You open the door to any and every aspect where you begin to sanction God's authority and suggest that we can listen to a man or a woman because he or she sounds intelligent and you open yourself up to any and every line of thinking. So where does authority come from? Spiritual authority comes from Jesus the Christ. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. And indeed, in Ephesians chapter 1, all the spiritual blessings are in Jesus Christ. It comes from his word. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 is where the Hebrew writer says, and he says in verse 15, he says, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life or of eternal inheritance. For a testament, verse 17, he says, is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. It comes from his inspired followers, as we're going to talk about here in just 60 seconds or so. And the conclusion of the whole matter is 
that we can and we must do things taught by both Christ and the Bible writers. You may or may not be aware that there are some in the religious world who suggest, I'll believe what Jesus says, but I will not believe what is written in black. That is, I'll, I'll, I'll read red letters and believe it, but I won't read black letters and read it. There are people who believe that they can be saved by only listening to what Jesus says and neglecting Paul, Peter, James, John, and for that matter, Matthew, Mark, and Luke when they're providing anything in addition to red letters. But we know that that's not the case at all because we know that Paul himself says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. So let me just conclude in the next few moments with how we establish authority. And this may be something that you've heard before, but as I said at the outset of our study, those of you who are a little bit younger, who maybe have not heard these things before, you need to hear these things. Those of us that are a little bit older, and I stress a little bit older, uh, we need to be reminded of these things. And those of you that are a little bit or a lot more older, you need to hear it as well. Because we are all trying to follow our God. There are three key, different, specific ways a person can receive authority, spiritually speaking, in order to do something. In order to act a particular way, in order to say something, in order to come together and worship on occasions like this. One of those is simply a command. A direct command that comes from our God or that comes from one of his inspired followers as we read about in the Bible. Where the Bible says do this, we do it. Where the Bible says don't do this, we don't do it. And it's just as simple as that. When we come together on the first day of the week, we're doing so because we know that we have a command to do so. And in fact, we're, yes, there's some necessary inference there with Acts chapter 20 and some other passages that we'll talk about in a few moments. But let me suggest to you that when it says, do not neglect one another, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, that's something that we ought not be doing. And so when we come together on the Lord's day, which is His day, it is something that we are indeed commanded to do by our God. When we leave today, we'll make a financial contribution. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, this was a command. This is also something that we'll talk about in just, in just a moment. It is an example that we follow. Think about all of the, the big ticket items in uh, what we know and universally know are wrong. Everyone knows it's wrong to, to take someone's life. Everyone knows that it's wrong to commit adultery, uh, to lie, to gossip. We know those things are wrong because the Bible specifically says so. As a little child would say, the Bible tells me so. And so we know that there are commands that come from God. Secondly, and we can spend a lot more time on that. Let me just suggest to you, secondly, that sometimes an example where a man or a woman has acted in a particular way and did so in an approved way by God, that it's okay to follow that example. And in fact, sometimes necessary to follow that example. Some would say, and you probably have had a discussion with someone at some point. You know, the Bible doesn't say that you partake in the Lord's Supper every first Sunday or every first week of, of every first day of the week. There we go. 
Bible does not say that every first day of the week you must partake the Lord's Supper. The Bible doesn't say that. Can you find that? I can't find that. No. But that's where we have to come back and say, well, wait a minute now, let's think about this. Where's the authority for the things that we do? In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, a verse that I referenced just a moment or so ago, what did we find the earliest disciples doing where God was giving them a great big thumbs up? You know, a lot of things that God gives a lot of thumbs up. He likes a lot of things. Now, he gives thumbs down to some things too, right? But he gives a thumbs up to Acts 20 verse 7 where the disciples came together. When did they do so? On the first day of the week. And they partook of what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion or the Memorial Feast. It has a lot of different titles to it, a lot of different terms that are associated with it. And people will do all kinds of mental or linguistic gymnastics to try to get past that and suggest why it's okay to only partake of the Lord's Supper once a month or once a quarter or twice a year or maybe only on one holiday a year. But nowhere else do we put that logic into work. If you're a member of the Rotary Club or some other type of civic organization, I remember being younger and there was a restaurant in Plainfield, Indiana. And it had a plaque up and it said, the Rotary meets here every Tuesday at 1130. And I'm assuming that all the Rotarians were scratching their heads trying to figure out when they were supposed to meet. No. They knew 11.30 on Tuesdays. It didn't say every Tuesday. But you understood that every Tuesday. When it says on the Lord's Day that men and women, that brethren in Christ, that saints came together, they did so for the purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper and of hearing preaching and of doing things that we do on occasions like we have come together today. We do not have a direct command to provide financial assistance to faraway Christians. Yet this church, from time to time, sets aside money to help Christians who have been devastated by typhoon, who have been hit by tornadoes, who have been devastated by earthquakes, whether it be elsewhere in the United States or whether it be halfway around the world. And we know from Acts chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, that that is not only something that we can do, but it is something that we should do. Where it says, they determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And there, you have God saying, I'll give that a thumbs up. I'm okay with that. That's a good thing to do. There are clearly things that are found in the book of Acts that men and women did that God did not give a thumbs up. In Acts chapter 5, he gave a thumbs down. In fact, he killed Ananias and Sapphira over the events of their lying, of their dishonesty. Any action that the Bible people took and God approved and is not in some way altered by God provides us with authority to act. Let me suggest number three, that there's another way that we sometimes can establish biblical authority. We have to understand this, including because of things that we've done today. Because at this point, I haven't talked about things that we've done today, or where we're sitting today, that we have authority for, right? And so sometimes there are conclusions that are just impossible to not come to, where we have to infer that with God's approval, these things transpired in New Testament times, 
And sometimes because of the advent of technology or the printing press, that things would happen today. For example, our communion frequency. Again, the frequency nature of it. Most people do not disagree that partaking of communion is an important part of religious service if you're a religiously minded person. But the frequency of that, we had to put some things together. What about our singing of songs through a songbook or through PowerPoint projection? Uh, what about the purchase of collection plates or of baskets? You see, we could have, I, I remember when I was a young boy, this will strike you. When I was a young boy and a relatively young Christian, we had the evening service. And I was all nervous because I was doing the Lord's Supper and helping pass the bread, having, helping pass the fruit of the vine. And then the elders had decided that after that they would take up a collection for those who wanted to do so. Well, me and my partner looked down underneath the table and there's no collection plates. I guess we just can't have a collection. <laughs> what did we do? We took the lids. And I thought I had to try not to laugh as a little boy. Well, I'm at that point. I was old enough to be a Christian, but I was still young, a little bit immature. Some would still say you lack maturity. But we took the we took the, the plate lids and we flipped them over and we collected contribution in that. How about that? See, there's no specific way that we're supposed to do so. You, you could just leave your check or your dollar bills or whatever you wanted to leave on the pew and someone come and collect it. You could probably make an argument that may not be the most decent or orderly way of doing it. We try to do things decently in order because of what Paul says to the Church of Corinth, right? My point is, is we just have to make some judgment calls on those particular things. And let us all, especially those of us who are men, and for that matter, those of you who are women, let us all be thankful not only for the advent of elders, but let us be thankful that we are a church that has elders because most of us who are men have been in a church void of elders. And we know just how enjoyable those meetings can sometimes be and how difficult they can be. I've heard horror stories about men's business meetings, about how they can go awry. And people can walk. I've actually seen people walk up and say, I'm leaving this church because I disagreed over some point that you just made. I'm thankful that God created an eldership. But I don't have to be in those meetings. Because I've been in them. And I'm glad that God has created something by His authority for us. The Bible provides a number of instances where this is used or authorized. You know, sometimes we talk about Noah building the ark. How did he build the ark? Wait, this is what I'm going for. Did he use tools? My guess is he didn't use his bare hands. But at no point in Genesis chapters 6 and 7, where we see the story of the flood, do we see God saying use tools. But most of us understood that he probably used something to put the thing together so that it would float. Was Philip told to use a chariot or was Paul told to use a boat to teach? The answer is no. But those are all just conclusions that we came to, which is why we sometimes come by car, by chariot, by airplane, by boat, by train. Authority is very important stuff. And I use the word stuff there kind of comically because this is more than just stuff. But without authority, kids get in trouble with their parents, do they not? Or they'll get in trouble with someone else. 
without authority and a respect for authority, we'll get into trouble with the law. And without authority, we put ourselves in the position of God. And ultimately, that's where we end today. Have you been saved? I hope that this is helpful. Not only for those of us who are already Christians, but for those who may be thinking about becoming a Christian. You say, wait a minute. These people take the Bible seriously. These people take the Word, and they take it, and they say, let's read it. Let's understand it. Let's apply it. That's what we are trying to do. And so we conclude by asking, have you been saved? And if you have been saved, by what authority have you been saved? Because some man said you are saved? Did some man say, well, by saying the sinner's prayer, that you are now saved? And you're listening to that man's authority? What did the Bible say? We must seek God and His plan for salvation and then act upon that. What does that involve? As good Bible students, we know that it is faith in Jesus Christ. It is a willingness to confess that faith and say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. Repenting of my sins, I will be baptized to have those sins washed away. You see, we did, as a congregation, have a big meeting one day and say, guys, what are we going to tell people is necessary in order to be saved? And then we, we took like 23 drafts. And we worked through them. Our elders did not sit down as uh, pastors of this church and say, Now, guys, what are we going to do about telling people to be saved? That's not what we do. We go back to the Bible on every question, on every issue. You say, that kind of makes you guys a little bit peculiar. Thank you for the comment. Because we want to be peculiar. We are glad to be children of God who follow His commands and who believe those commands are necessary to follow and to put into practice. If you are not a Christian this morning, we are asking you to become one this very day, to make right your life with God. And if you are not right with God and you are a Christian and you need to make some sort of correction, if it's public, do it publicly. If it's private, do it privately. But if we can help you in any way, we would love the opportunity to help you, to strengthen you in any way spiritually. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.